The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times, or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. Tabernacle. How are you? My name is John and I still work here. It's good to be back. I'm glad uh, that you're joining us, whether you're here in Buckley or you're joining us from uh, Manistee, dialing in online uh, or at the county jail. Uh, This is church and and we appreciate the fact that you've come uh, to engage with us to seek what God would have for us. And I'm excited. I don't know if you're excited about this series called uh, fools. Uh, before we jump in, uh, and we're going to be in the book of Proverbs first, so if you do have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn to Proverbs chapter 12. I wanted to give you, uh, both at this campus in Manistee, a quick update on Pastor Tim. Uh, many of you kind of heard through the grapevine or whatever that Tim's been a little bit ill. He had a procedure done. Uh, Tim is doing much better. I got to spend a couple hours with him on Friday of this week, just catching up, uh, as Tim does with the conversation on a porch with some rays, and I could see a sparkle in his eyes again, and I'm excited about that. You can pray for him. He's one of the 1% uh, in our nation that has to struggle to gain weight. Um, He's actually seeing a nutritionist uh, to help him do that, and I said, save your time and money. I'll tell you how. (laughs) You simply eat everything, right? So whatever. But uh, uh, he did share a story with me that I thought that I would share with you just by way of introduction. He was talking about being in the pre-op, and uh, as Tim is one of the easiest people to talk to, he's speaking to this young lady, and she's asking him about his work and his job, and he's a pastor and this and that. And uh, she said to him, she said, um, uh, I don't go to church. And in his gracious way, he said, well, would you like me to stop talking about it? I can if you'd like. She goes, no. She said, what church did you say? Uh, that you're a part of. And he said, I'm the part of the tabernacle. She goes, oh, I've heard great things about that church. And so, of course, I'm thinking, or the same thing that Tim's thinking, uh, if, you know, go to church, but you heard great things. What's the great thing that you heard? And she said, you guys just give it to people straight, like right out of the Bible. And Tim was like, yes. And then he was unconscious. So I just, we're not even sure if that really happened or not, but... We do give it to people straight, and and we try to do it with love and graciousness, but I think it's because the Bible gives it to us straight. 
And one of the reasons for this series that's called Fools, it's not that we're calling people fools, it's that the Bible contrasts foolish living with wise living and encourages us, don't live like a fool. Live as if there is a God. Live as if this is his word. And if you're going to live wisely, it's not about how smart you are, it's about who are the voices that you choose to listen to. And so even when I've heard just in the few days that I've been back from vacation, I've heard even some people, our intro video was a little dark. It's a little edgy. It's a little whatever. You get the point. Because living like a fool isn't funny. And it's not cute. It leads to destruction. It leads to pain in your own life and the pain you cause in other people's lives. But if we can live wisely, right, we need to be careful to the voices that we're listening to. So we're just going to go straight. And like I said, if you have a Bible and uh, we're going to look at a couple different verses in Proverbs and then we'll get to our topic for this weekend. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse one, uh, inspired by the spirit of God, it's given to us straight. It says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. You don't think that's funny? The Bible just called a certain group of people stupid. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Right? It says it right there. It says someone that loves discipline, meaning someone that is going to practice self-control, that is going to live a planned out life, a measured life. Someone that loves knowledge, right? Or wisdom, it says in some translation. But that word reproof means is the person that hates to be corrected. The person that hates to be rebuked. The person... This might hurt a little for people like me. The person who hates to be wrong, yeah, you're stupid. It says later in the same chapter in verse 15, this is Proverbs 12, 15. It says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. And again, it contrasts, like it does all throughout this book of Proverbs, wise living and foolish living, It says that the fool thinks he's always right and only thinks of his way of doing things. But the one who actually listens to advice, that person is a wise man. And then later in Proverbs 26, if you flip over a few chapters, in Proverbs 26, verse 12, it says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? That means not in the wisdom of anyone else. He only listens to himself. That's the only voice he hears. It says, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than him. So we're talking about foolishness and we're talking about the behavior of a fool. This verse took it even further. It says, if you're wise in your own eyes, you're basically worse than a fool. The topic we're going to be breaking down is this topic of being unteachable. Unteachable. Have you ever met an unteachable person? Someone that refuses instruction? Someone that refuses to listen to advice? A person that's set on it's it's my way and it's the only way and there's no other way, even if they'll just bang their head against the wall over and over and over? I think I've shared this story with some of you before. I, I, I used to golf quite a bit. Uh, 
and, uh, and then I got serious about my job as a pastor and realized I have no time for that, right? <laughs> and uh, uh, there's, I'm not a super great golfer, but there was one thing on this one particular day with this one particular friend that I was just crushing, and that was the short game, just chipping. I, I could just chip anything from close. On, you don't golf? Okay, it's just hitting the ball up close to the pin, right? And uh, it's, it's a fine art, and I was just nailing it. Because a long time ago, a guy that was better than me, who happened to be a pastor, showed me what he did, and I just started doing it that way, and I got pretty decent at least that part of the game. The rest of the game, I want to throw my golf clubs in a lake. But that was I was pretty good at. And I could just chip and get the ball right in close, and if I didn't sink it, it would be a short putt. This guy was terrible that I was with this day. He would skull it over. He would smash it into the, you know, into the trees. We call it army golf, right? Trees, 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 trees. March, march. That's all, he, you know, that he was. And the whole day, like nine, ten holes, he's like, man, your short game is amazing. How do you do that? How do you do that? And I didn't want to be that guy, so I didn't say anything until he actually got serious. You know, about hole 10 or 11, he's, he's addressing a chip, and he's about ready to ruin the whole thing again, and he stops, and he goes, how do you do it? You do it different. How do you do it? And I said, well, I don't know. I just open up my stance. Some guy show me, and then I flatten out the club face, and then it's like I'm trying to throw a bucket of water. I just kind of do that, and I relax, relax, you know, open up your stance, do that. And no kidding. Do you know what this guy said? He goes, thanks, but I'm going to do it my way. <laughs> and you can guess where the ball went, right? Now, that's my friend, but I want to say that, that guy's being foolish, at least on the golf course. He doesn't listen. He's wise in his own eyes. Scripture says a person like that, when it comes to living the Christian life, is worse than a fool because of the chaos and the destruction that it can cause. It's called hard-headed. It's called stubborn. The person who is unteachable is the most dangerous person in a church. I was reading a leadership blog that said those exact words. The most dangerous person in your church is the one who is unteachable. Now, there could be a lot of different reasons why someone is unteachable. And the obvious one is maybe they just don't have the aptitude, right? Maybe it's an intelligence thing. Maybe it's, uh, uh, you know, and I don't want to go there because I don't want to be harmful or say anything like that, but there was a wise comedian who said one time, you can't fix stupid, right? You're not even going to give me that one. <laughs> Gone two weeks, you won't even give me that one. But that's not necessarily true because even if someone is not that smart, if they will humble themselves to be teachable rather than unteachable, they can figure it out, Right? There's another reason sometimes we're unteachable, why we don't listen to wise counsel, while we, while we remain unmoved by a sermon, unchanged by God's word, uh, uncaring about whatever wise advice has been offered to us. Oh, we're just going to do it our own way, right? Maybe it's because we're wounded. Sometimes it's because I've been hurt by a group of people, or I was hurt when I was young, or I was hurt by the church. Or for whatever woundedness, we can't get over the fear to try it in a different way. And so we remain living and acting like a fool, is what Scripture says. But I think if we dig down deep under even the person who is wounded, it's not really because of the wound. The wound may have started it, but really it goes deeper to the deepest heart issue that we all face. The one who is unteachable struggles with pride. 
with pride. And it's the oldest sin, it was the original sin, and it's the root of all sin and evil in our world. It goes all the way back to our first parents in the Garden of Eden. When in their hearts they said, I deserve better. And they made themselves out to be as God. Unteachable and pride are synonymous. And what happens is, when I become unteachable, I become critical, I become argumentative, I become divisive. When I won't listen to anyone's advice, when I won't listen to God's word, when the only voice I can hear is my own voice, and it's the only voice that matters, I become a colossal waste of time for anyone who tries to help me. And I know that's true for my own life, but my pride, which makes me unteachable, that's also the most dangerous thing in a church, and it's the most dangerous person in a church. The unteachable person can be in a church and be completely camouflaged. They can look religious. They can participate. They can give. They can serve. They can be baptized. The unteachable person can have a ton of Bible knowledge. But they're the finished article. They have their theology. They have it all figured out. They know the correct authors. And so they come to church not to receive from God, but to judge whether or not the messenger did it right or said it right. When everyone else is making a decision and filling out a card and saying, you know, I repent of this. I can't believe this was brought to my attention. It came right out of God's word. They walk out and say, good message or good service or great song and nothing ever changes. You see, it's not just the brash Mr. Know-it-all who's unteachable. You know what I mean when I say Mr. Know-it-all? Do you know what the problem is with Mr. Know-it-all is? Is that Mr. Know-it-all doesn't know it all. And the fact is, is he doesn't know that he doesn't know it all because he's Mr. Know-it-all. Those are the obvious unteachable people. But unteachable can kind of wriggle its way into any one of our hearts. When someone corrects you, when someone rebukes you, when someone points out the fact that you're doing it wrong, is your first response anger? Mine is, or can be. That's a symptom of an unteachable spirit. And scripture says that that's stupid. Scripture goes beyond that. I didn't say it, I love you. Scripture says that's foolish. I don't want to be foolish. I want to be wise. It's been said about pride that pride is the only disease known to man that makes everyone sick except the one who has it. Sometimes being unteachable is really living in a bubble where you don't realize you're unteachable. In fact, I I was telling somebody that the whole danger of this message this weekend is that if there are people that are struggling with being unteachable, you probably won't even hear the message because you're convinced that you're not. So we should probably just quit and go home. Let's not. Let's trust the spirit that maybe the spirit might speak here. I don't want to be unteachable. I want to be the opposite. I don't want to be full of pride. I want to be like Jesus who was full of humility, the one who left heaven's throne on orders. He was instructed, listening to his father and came to earth 
as a babe. He was born and raised. Everything in the human experience, he experienced. He said when he was a young man, that he submitted to his parents. You know what? He learned from them, even though he created them. He learned from Mary and his stepdad, Joseph. That, bothered, or that just boggles my mind when I put my head on the pillow, right? What was it like for Jesus when he was 12? Dad was trying to get him through sixth grade, right? You know that, that age when all your kid ever says to you is, I know, I know, I know. My kids aren't here in this service, so I can say that. I'm about to slap somebody. I know. Watch out, you're going to walk out in front of a truck. I know. Sorry. Okay. I want to be the opposite. There's a story in Acts chapter 8 that I think gives us a picture of how to be wise. It's a story from the New Testament. And this is right after Jesus' ascension. And, and he's given this message of the gospel to his disciples. And he's instructed them to take it to the far ends of the earth. And there's this really cool story of one of his disciples, Philip. In, uh, I'm in Acts chapter, 12 verse, or, or, or Acts chapter 8 verse 26. And it says, uh, uh, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, he's one of the disciples, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So this is an important guy. Uh, it's not, or it's most likely not present day Ethiopia, but it's somewhere in East Africa. And he's a visitor. He's a pilgrim. He's obviously a God-fearing man. He has become a Jew, so he's worshiping the same God of the Jews, and he's on his way home. Now he's a pretty big deal, a pretty important person in this queen's court. He's in charge of all the money. It's probably a bigger deal than the secretary of the treasury, more like a prime minister. And so he's in a fancy chariot, and God tells, through his spirit, Philip, he tells him to go on this road, and that's where he meets this guy. Verse 29, and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot to walk beside. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, this is a big deal because Philip's a nobody. Philip's a nobody. He's one of the disciples. And Jesus invested in these 12 guys that weren't really big deals. They didn't have power. They didn't have position. They didn't have money, right? In our day and age, it'd just be hardworking, blue-collar, salt-of-the-earth guys that hunt and fish and build their own house. But somehow he got pulled into this revolution, this gospel revolution, and now he's an evangelist, Philip the Evangelist. That's what he's known as. And Philip takes a risk. Do you know what you're reading? I have no idea. How am I going to know unless someone tells me? Why don't you come up here? This is different. This is different. Verse 32. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, 
About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Christian historians believe this is how the gospel first came to Africa. It came because an Ethiopian eunuch, a big deal, a prime minister, someone in the queen's court was teachable. He was teachable. He didn't caught up or get caught up in his position. He didn't say, who are you? You're just some fisherman guy. You hung out with that. I don't even know you. You're a stranger. He engaged. And because of that, his life has changed. Beginning with the scripture that he was already reading. He's already looking through the scriptures. He's already got questions. He's already trying to fill that God-shaped hole that he wasn't quite finding fulfilled in his pilgrimage and all of his other, uh, you know, kind of attempts to get to know God. And here we see Philip also, in his humility, listens to God's voice, engages in a conversation. Guys, this is a testimony. This is a conversion story. This is a dude that without that doesn't come to know Jesus. Do you realize, Christian, those of you who believe in Jesus Christ by faith and have received his grace, do you realize the truth of this? Someday, if there's no wasted words in here, this is really God's word, so it's all true. This is a true story. We'll get to meet this guy. We'll get to meet Philip too. And like I said before, if there's a movie room in heaven, I want to see the tapes. Let's check the tapes. Can we get it in 3D? This will be a cool story to see. How big was the chariot? I imagine it was an Escalade. Was it a sunny day? Was the lake, the water they were passing by, was it like Lake Gitchy Itchy? You know, was it like Lake Michigan over there in Manistee? Was it like the Manistee River that connects us? I don't know. But this really happened, and the Ethiopian's life is changed because he was teachable. We know what unteachable looks like, most of us. We've experienced that boss, that coworker, that teammate, that spouse, that child that person that's been unteachable. But what does teachable really look like? If that's who I want to be. You see, the word teachable is synonymous with humility. Just like pride is synonymous with unteachable, humility is synonymous with teachable. You see, if I can get my ego out of the way, I can learn something. You know, we say things to each other like, look, nobody's perfect. Nobody knows everything. I mean, I know there's Mr. Know-it-all thinks he knows everything, but most of us will admit we don't know everything about everything. We, we just spent a little vacation time down in the tropics, and, and our host was a guy that knows everything that there is to know about the tropics, and he flies an airplane, and he's got a boat, and he knows how to fish, and, he's, and he knows every fish by sight and by feel and by touch. And I'm not going to go in here and say, you know what? I've caught a few panfish of Michigan. Step aside. No. We're 25 miles away from the shore. It's like, what do I do? I don't want to do. Where do I step? I don't don't want to drown. I don't want to die. What if a shark comes? I'm going to listen. 
Because I want to be wise, I don't want to be a fool. We know that teachable is good, and no matter where you are, you have to humble yourself. Have you ever been on a job site, and the new guy comes in who's never done the job before, and he acts like he knows it all, and he screws everything up? His ego got in the way. That's how people get hurt. That's how money gets lost. Well, what happens when you do that with a marriage? Oh, we got this. We got this. No one's ever been as married as we are. Right? Or what about parenting? Right? You got to have a license to do anything in the People's Republic of Michigan. Except be a parent. Right? Hey, I'm the only one that's ever dadded before. I got this. Me and my kid, we have the only special... Oh, we're... Sorry. I want to be teachable. What does it look like to be teachable? If, if we break down this story, here was the first thing. We see the Ethiopian guy. He was already reading the prophet Isaiah. You see, to be teachable means that this guy, or the teachable person, seeks wisdom. He seeks wisdom. She seeks wisdom. She's looking for it. Now, I know that not everyone's a reader, and I know that not everyone's interested in all of the same things, but when we're talking about the truth, when we're talking about the life-giving instruction that God has for us through his word, the wise person, the teachable person, seeks wisdom. This guy was already seeking wisdom on his own. You know, I know that uh, you know, at our church, we've, we've hired a lot of staff members from within. And we've done that on purpose because some of the best staff members are people that, you know, they came to know Christ in a church, they were baptized in a church, they were discipled in a church, they believe in the church and they believe in the DNA and then, boom, next thing you know, they're, they're on staff and the next thing you know, the, you know they've become a pastor. And I, I know, I hear some of the voices. Sometimes it's like, hey, who does Pastor Ben think he is? I know him, he was a carpenter and so am I. Right? Well, there's a vetting process and there's, there's an educational process, but one of the biggest things is, is the guy humble and is he a student? Is he a learner? Is he a seeker of wisdom? You see, that's what makes a great leader. That's what makes a teachable person. That person already is wise because they're seeking wisdom. They're seeking what they don't know. The problem with pride and unteachability is we think we know everything. We've got it all figured out. We see this at Fight Club all the time where we'll come to a Fight Club and then we'll study a passage and there's always one table that all they do is talk about everything they know about the Bible. They've heard all this. I was in a Sunday school class. I read a book. I own all the knowledge, da, 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 da. And it just goes on and on. And it's like, they know more about the Bible than I do or anyone else on our staff. And then it gets down to the last part of Fight Club when we say, okay, now what's God saying to you to do about it? And it goes silent. That's not wisdom. That's foolishness. But it starts out with, are you someone that's going to seek wisdom? And like I said, the problem is Mr. Know-it-all. He doesn't know it all. And Mrs. Know-it-all too, by the way. Here's the second thing we see is, is uh, you know, when Philip takes a risk and he says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? The eunuch's word, he says, how can I unless someone guides me? This is an educated man. This is an important man. This is a wealthy man. This is a powerful man. But do you see the humility just ooze out of him? How can I know what I'm reading unless someone helps me? Would you come up here into the Escalade chariot? 
And Philip, wow, he hops up in there. You see, the teachable person invites instruction. Invites instruction. And they don't care where the instruction comes from. They don't care who is the deliverer of the instruction. Now, as I mentioned before, sometimes it's hard when you hear criticism. Sometimes it's hard when you hear something negative. It's hard to be rebuked. I, re- I remember I'd only been a pastor here for about five years, and uh, um, an elder gentleman uh, that's a part of our church very humbly and very lovingly took me aside after a service one Sunday, and he said, I hesitate to even bring this up to you because I know that you hear a lot of negative things. I mean, I, I was like, well, I hear good things too. And he goes, yeah, but this is, I, I was already prepped. This is going to be negative, <laughs> Right? And I had a choice to say, listen, I don't want to hear anymore and walk away or say, please tell me, what do you got? And he had a loving, gentle, biblical word of instruction. He said, I've noticed this attitude with some of our staff members. And I just want to say this. That's hard to hear. Now it was 10 years ago. Our staff is perfect right now, okay? Just want you to know. Especially in Manistee, all right? That was hard to hear. But I had a choice to be ruled by my pride and be a fool. Or in humility to invite this instruction for a man who had been a Christian longer than I've been alive. And his heart meant to build up, not tear down. It was an exhortation. I received it. And I remember the next staff meeting, I shared it with our staff. And they received it. And that's a picture of wisdom for all of us. The teachable seeks wisdom, but the teachable also, the teachable person invites instruction. What's your default? Is it to get angry? Are you you angry with this message right now? Has it somehow crossed the line? You see, we have to check our hearts. You see, a disciple is a learner. A disciple is a follower. A Christian is a disciple. We follow Jesus. We follow the rabbi. We study his word and what he says. So there's going to be constant wisdom that's shared. There's going to be constant instruction that is given. And if you stop doing that, you stop being a disciple. To be a disciple is to be teachable. It's one-on-one. And then we see this great question the Ethiopian asks. He shares this passage of Isaiah that's obviously a prophetic passage. It's obviously, or at least to me or maybe to some of us that have been around the Bible, oh yeah, it's talking about Jesus, that he was like a sheep led to the slaughter, like a lamb before its shear is silent. He opens not his mouth and humiliation, justice was denied him. You know why? Because Jesus humbled himself even unto death, death on a cross. He's our example. And so the eunuch says, I ask you, is the prophet talking about himself? Who's he talking about? Boom, there's the opening. He's got a humble man, a man who's seeking wisdom, who is inviting instructions. And so he says, let me tell you a story. And with that humble heart, beginning with that passage, he tells him all about Christ and the gospel and how you can be forgiven of sin. You can be set free from bondage. You can live free and not like a slave, no matter where you are, what you've done in the past, how everything can change. As Jesus said, how you can have life and have it to the full. 
And yes, you're going to make mistakes. And yes, we live in those consequences. But we can live wisely and not foolishly. And the Ethiopian is just soaking all this stuff in. You know why? Because teachable people, a teachable person listens and responds. Listens and responds. And that's exactly what the eunuch does. As they're driving, he didn't wait till the next service. He didn't wait till he was a Christian for a year. He didn't take, oh, and this really ticks off some denominations. He didn't take the baptism class and do the workbook and the fill in the blank and be interviewed by the preacher. Am I pushing any buttons yet? Not that there's anything wrong with that. We just try to follow the Bible. He does it straight. And he asks this glorious question because he's heard the word and he wants to respond. This man has been moved by the scripture. He's moved by the instruction. This is what he's seeking and he's humble. And he says, is there any reason? There's some water. Is there any reason why I shouldn't be baptized right now? Oh, no reason? Stop the Escalade. And down into the water they go. And even that, even that, you know, you've heard it before if you've been to a baptism at the tabernacle, either here or Manistee, whether we've done it as a group or in smaller groups. There's some people who will never be baptized. They'll never obey God's instruction to be baptized because of their pride. Because they can't walk into the water in all their clothes and make an outward profession of an inward change. Because this is weird. Is it really necessary? And they come up with all these arguments like, well, I can go to heaven and not really ever be baptized. Yeah, you can, but why would you ever want to be? Oh, because you're unteachable. This guy says, is there any reason why I shouldn't? Can we do this right now? And he's baptized and he comes out of the water. And then there's that little weird little PS. And I'll be honest, I don't know what that means when it says, they come up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. He's full of joy. Now, the spirit taking Philip away, I don't have a teaching point for that. But that's why I want to see the video. Did he levitate? Did he fly? Did he disappear like Star Trek? You know? I don't know. I don't know. The Bible says it. I believe it. Philip all of a sudden wasn't there because God didn't want this guy attached to him. He had the truth in his heart. He's a seeker of wisdom who invites instruction. He had the scriptures. Someone told him about the gospel. And like I said, history says he went back to Ethiopia and shared it with everyone. It's a wise man. That's a teachable man. So what's the point for us? I, I don't know who here is teachable, who is unteachable. I don't know if you're listening. And, and you know, I know there's been moments in my life when I've been very unteachable. It was a year ago that I realized that there was a lot coming out of my mouth, but not a lot coming in my ears. And convicted by God's word, I wrote with a sharpie on a little post-it note or a little card. I wrote, listen, and I put it right on my desk right here where I could see it before every meeting and every person that came in in there. Because I need to listen more because I want to be teachable. I want to be humble. God's not finished with me yet. And he's not finished with you. And he calls us to live wise. His word's not mine. He calls us because God gives it to us straight. Don't be stupid. Don't be stupid. You struggling with your marriage? Ask for help. You struggling with fear? Invite instruction. You don't understand the gospel? You don't understand why you keep smashing your head into the walls of life and you can't seem to find the door, the way to freedom? Seek wisdom. Listen and respond. 
That means when we come to a tabernacle service on a weekend, we don't come to be entertained. Who's our favorite singer? Who's our favorite speaker? Were the lights right? Is it too hot? Is it too cold? Is it too long? Is it too short? We're here to say, God, what do you have for me? I want to be teachable. What word do you have for me? And how do you want me to respond? That's a wise man. That's a wise woman. That's a wise student. When we live that way, we're forever, forever changed. Or we continue to do things our way. You know what? Thanks for that, John. I'm going to do it my way. Skadoo. What's the point? Simply this. Don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. You don't have to be the smartest person to not be a fool. Don't be a fool. Listen and respond. Admit that you don't have it all together. Get out of your Escalade or invite someone into it and have a conversation. One of the beautiful things about church is God gives us the men and women, the people, the staff, whether it's in a group or whether it's through a retreat, through a program. He gives us the people that we need to get through the times that we need help. So don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. Be wise. We listen to instruction. We invite it. We receive God's wisdom. And we respond. We have an opportunity this weekend to respond. We're going to celebrate communion together as a family. And in preparation for communion, I would ask that you spend some time in the silence preparing your heart not only to receive communion, but also to ask God or or to search your own soul and say, in what ways have I lived like a fool? And what would it look like for me to live wisely? Maybe for you, you haven't believed in God before this moment. Scripture says that The fool says in his heart, there is no God. So we have to get that sorted out. If you're not a Christian, we invite you to become one. But if you are a Christian, and if we have anything in common, you know there's times in your life that you've lived foolishly by being unteachable. We're called to be teachable instead. God, how can I be more teachable? What are the areas in my life where I'm struggling? In fact, would you bow your heads with me as we prepare for communion? By word of instruction, I would say both to the Manistee campus and the Buckley campus, communion at our church is open to anyone who calls on the name of Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, you can celebrate communion at our church. The only things that prevent us from celebrating communion, if if there's something in your heart between you and another person that you haven't forgiven or some resentment or something you haven't had the opportunity to make right yet and you want to sit it out, that's fine. If you're not a Christian... We encourage you to become one, but if you're not ready, that's fine too. We just ask that you refrain from this ritual. But if you are a Christian, Scripture encourages us when we come together to take the bread and remember God's Son's broken body. And as we take the cup to remember His shed blood, And the wisest thing we could ever do is to place our faith and our trust in the grace of God that was freely given on the cross and was sealed with Christ's resurrection and his victory over Satan, sin, and death. So in a few moments after you've had time to pray 
confess sin, respond to both the word and prepare for communion, we're going to invite you to come. And I believe in both locations, we have stations in the front and also in the back. When you're ready, we invite you. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us not to live like fools, but you would help us to live wisely. God, that we would not be unteachable, but instead we would be teachable disciples who are seeking not man's wisdom, not the media's wisdom, not the latest fad wisdom, not worldly wisdom, not book wisdom, even Bible knowledge, but the very wisdom of God that's proclaimed by your spirit. God, would we welcome instruction when it's given with the right heart and in humility? Would you help us not just to hear it with our ears, but to listen with our hearts and respond to you? So God, in these moments, would you change us by your spirit? And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. When you're ready and only when you're ready, we invite you to come.